Hi, and welcome to IndieWire's Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. My name is Chris O'Fall, I'm the editor of The Toolkit, and today we get to welcome back uh, director Trey Edward Schultz, uh, talking about his remarkable third film, Waves, uh, which A24 is putting into the theaters November 1st. Uh, you know, I watched it again last night, and maybe because I just was swept away the first time, I, I, I missed how symmetrical this is, and it's really a, a two-part story, which is kind of an unconventional way of, of doing it. I, I have to, uh, kind of a two-part question. One is, I, I, I'm just guessing that is tied to this, this the, the way that you saw this, which is in two mov- movements, this descent and then this ascension, but also yeah. I, I, we live in such a three-act world. I have to, I, I wonder, it seems obvious in retrospect to go this direction, but I'm guessing maybe in the writing process, <laughs> it, that was something you had to discover. Definitely, definitely. That's why... I mean, I think at the end of the day, I always get more excited about stuff I haven't seen before, you know, and I'd seen a lot of diptychs and two-part movies that I love, um, but not a lot where I kind of think the climax happens halfway through, you know, and and um, you get to this big pivotal moment and then the other half is sort of about getting through that and working it out, you know. Um, so I got really excited. That was as soon as the two-part thing had that epiphany you know this has been brewing for a really long time but as soon as that happened that was always the dna and it was always meant to hit at that pivotal moment then switch and kind of push through to heal on the other side ideally um but it took me a very long time to figure out how to work all that stuff out into any kind of coherent screenplay or story every time i tried it was just a total mess because there's an element of tyler the the first there's an element of where his story goes that feels like that conclusion is how how one finishes a three act story. Totally, and maybe you could have a a, a coda of of the kind of uh, postscript. But it seems as if you, I mean, you've dealt with grief before. You've dealt with with these issues, and it seems like really here the big new component is this sense of emergence of the sense yeah. of love and the sense of like uh, you know to go with your own theme of waves, the kind of ebb and flow out <laughs> of that, right? Definitely. And I, I feel like every other movie would have just ended with every other movie I've made, sorry, would have just ended with the Tyler half, but like pushing through to that other side. Yeah, I think that's new to me. And that's uh, that's what was super, super exciting about this. You know, the other thing in terms of the way this is structured, it's, it, you know, from a story standpoint, it's got these sequences, but really they're kind of movements. There's this almost like a so. musical sense to them. And in particular, we'll stick with the first half with the Tyler part. In that sense, I mean, there are story beats and there are these sequences that work in the structure, but they also seem to be more dictated by capturing a sense of of an, how when li- how life and death these things can feel as teenagers yeah, and getting exactly. in touch with those emotions to the point that um, we understand where he goes despite you know, despite where he does go. And it, it seems as if that's not only the story, but th- I imagine you've thought about it in all these kind of like musical, emotional moments, right? Definitely. And that's why the music was like embedded in the script. It was always a part of the DNA. It was, I don't know, part of it to me is kind of really operatic. And I love the idea of using that music that felt honest to these kids. And if you separated it out, it's telling its own kind of story and its own playlist. Um, so let's that, just separate music for a second. I yeah. think what you're talking about right now is there, there's some Kanye, there's some Radiohead, there's Animal Collective, <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of Frank Ocean. We're we're talking about the the modern 
tracks because there's also a score element. That's what that's what you're talking about, right? Is Definitely. That, that, okay. Definitely. And it, well, and it motivated the entire ebb and flow. We'll you come know? back to the score. Of, of, of course, yeah. of course. And it motivated the entire ebb and flow. And like you said, like at, at that age, you know, you're not a kid. You're not an adult. You feel everything. At least I did, and I felt it ten times more. Um, so this sort of like musical operatic quality, contemporary kind of musical operatic quality, I thought, uh, made a lot of sense. These kids' emotional state of minds, you know. So this is something that's written into the script almost. It's, yeah, it, it, yeah, it it was, and it was like I remember um, uh, that was my producer's gem idea because uh, at first I'd send the script out to a few people with just music written in and then I'd send music for those that wanted to listen and I think he's the only person that actually listened to the music I sent as well so he thought we should embed it in the script so when actors and everyone were reading they could press play or pause um, and you know for me music opens you up obviously it's one of the biggest things in my life and it hits you emotionally in different ways so with the script we were just trying to um, make it as visceral and close to the, what the film experience would feel like you know there's a I, I, there's an element here which is, you're using the word operatic, and we're talking about Kanye, we're talking about Lamont. And I think there's, there's two parts of this that could be a little bit dangerous. One, you know, you're, there's a sincerity here, and you're plugging into modern tracks that people know. Yep. And, and so, it, where it, it, you know, this is one of the things we get to look back at, because it works. But I have Thank to imagine you. going in, that's kind of, that's kind of a big thing, you sure. know. And, and the other element that I'm really curious about is, um, A24 has been very supportive of you, but there's also a music budget. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's yep. like, is there a smaller New York band you could find or something like that? Because it's like, you can't, I mean, how does one write, you know, there's a huge, there's a huge moment in this, this film that's, that's, that's scored to Kanye. Yeah. And I, I don't know, maybe you know him, but it we seems. We just got the right set song yesterday. Uh, okay. All right. So that is, but I mean, because that's another element if I'm sitting there as a, your producer suggests you putting it in the script, but there's another element of like, yeah. that kind of like one, going so big with emotion and going with modern music and these bands that people know and these uh, these rappers that people know but then also the the, the music rights element because yep. i can only i wouldn't want to be the person that tells you trey you can't <laughs> you can't use that song after totally what happens there uh well uh, i got very very blessed but it was a lot of this movie man was just a lot of just taking like leaps of faith you know uh it, that's why i wanted to embed the music from the start of like I don't know how we're going to get this or if we're going to get any of it, but this is the goal, you know? So from the, from the top with everyone, and we had Trenton Atticus as composers from the top, so that was always something we could fall back on, I feel like. Um, it, but it was, I don't know, it was, uh, it was like, let's shoot for this, let's see if we can do it. And A24 was very supportive, um, but a lot, it's, it's a lot of circumstance and luck and letters and sending the cut to people and reaching out. And, um, yeah, I just feel very, very blessed, but, uh, we, we still, you know, like two months ago, we didn't know if we'd have like half our music in it, even though, yeah, it was all in the cut and trying to replace stuff was a nightmare. I want to talk a little bit. It seems it seems as if partially developing this character of Tyler, I imagine it starts with you, it starts with looking back at your experiences, but it yeah. seems as if part of the development of this character is with, with um, Kevin Harrison Jr. Yeah. I wonder if you talk about that process. Of and, and kind of off that, it seems as if uh, more than his songs, there's a little bit maybe taken from Frank Ocean. Maybe I'm just making too much of that I with the hair, it. but I it seems it. as if I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about the development of this, this character 
Yeah. Uh, well, for Tyler, yes. Basically, it started with me. Um, very personal. The, the movie is semi-autobiographical. For, and it basically starts there, then goes to fictional narrative, then comes back, and it kind of keeps doing that the whole movie. Um, so it kind of started with Ty, and Ty uh, is a lot of who I was in high school. Um, and, uh, you know, I met Kelvin on It Comes at Night, and we, uh, we loved each other and just like desperately wanted to work together again. Um, and I was telling him ideas about this even then. Like I remember, because actually speaking to Frank, uh, Blonde and Endless came out that summer, the end of that summer when we were shooting It Comes at Night and we were just listening to those constantly and um, while we were making the movie and then driving around on weekends to water holes. And I was just fantasizing about this movie and I sort of, it still wasn't, it was the, grand picture but I hadn't actually written anything I was like there's a brother then a sister but there's two roles you could play the sister has like a love interest you could be the brother um, their family connects it all there's a tragedy and 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 then just kind of like summarizing the whole thing and he was really drawn to Tyler so even while I was writing I was texting him uh, we'd do some phone calls and um, trying to find like a lot of commonality in our experience uh, with our family and in our lives back in those days. You know, I grew up in Texas. He grew up in New Orleans. Um, and then uh, I sent him the first draft probably, I think it was like eight months before production. And it just continued to evolve from there, you know, and really find the, the nuance of Tyler and of this family in that collaboration. And then it built out with the rest of the actors. Um, but yeah, I'm so proud of that kid, man. And then for Frankie, I just, uh, he, Frank Ocean's one of my favorite uh, living artists and his music's so, so huge. Um, uh, I know it, I, I, you know, I can't intellectually speak to how it exactly inspired parts of the movie and stuff, but it definitely did. And um, yeah, I've just been obsessed with his music. And I think even, you know, Blonde's one of my favorite albums, and even though I use more Endless and Waves, and um, uh, the there's something about like the semi-autobiographical per personal nature of his stuff that's raw but so elegant and beautiful, and this dichotomy that's all combined together—it's just masterful and one of a kind. And um, so, yeah, I'll I'll always be inspired by him, man. He's the best. Uh, the score. Even though we have all this this modern pop music, there's also a score, uh, Trent yeah. Reznor and Atticus Ross, um, who I think our listeners are very familiar with. You know, I'm curious about this process because they have an unenviable task of you, yeah. you've 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 made, for lack of a better word, a jukebox musical. Totally. And they, I, I'm curious. Let me actually start with this with yeah. a question before we talk about what they did. Did they also help weave in and out of certain tracks yes, and things like big that? Time. So, so I mean, part of this is you've got like a raw song in there, but they have to figure out th they're they're, com they're coming up with these transitions, which are also kind of sound design elements. Okay, big right. time, and it's all melded together. Yeah. So let's talk about that because there's th those elements that you do need score and why you do need score and kind of what they're serving with this because I think a part of this is also they serve and their music serves a little bit as both a thematic thing, 
you know, this kind of in, getting us internal yep. in the sense of the ebb and flow of water, but also they often are a connective tissue between the two halves of the story. Exactly. Exactly. Right? We talk a little bit about that collaboration. Yeah. And you nailed it. That's what, you know, so it was funny because when I first sent Trenton Atticus the script, I was like, are they going to want to do this? It has like 30 pre-existing <laughs> songs and none of them are their stuff. That's what I, yeah. <laughs> Oh, and great. It's like we get to do a score between yeah, before Pablo exactly, Honey. Exactly. That's why I was terrified. They were going to be like, why are you, what are, what's our job here? You've got the music already figured out. Um, but they, it was the total opposite. They, they really loved the script and were excited at uh, approaching a score that way that ha that just came up front with all this music and where does the score fit into that, you know? Um, and what, there was some trial and error, you know, and what we kind of came down on was this sort of, internal uh minimal kind of treating the score like tyler and emily's subconscious is coming out and linking each other and kind of the heart and spirit of the movie there's there's certain themes that link the both of them and it's what links the two halves to complete the whole um combined with a lot of they were taking actual sounds from the movie and manipulating them and using them musically because uh, that was the as much as like the soundtrack still it's so much a part of tyler and emily's world rarely does it ever feel like it's actually coming from inside of them, you know, or this greater spirit that's linking them together. And I think that's sort of what we found out with the score. And then, so at times that's just like its own, its own score cue or something. Then other times it's really, uh, you know, like the back half and several other instances, but one big one is, um, uh, oh, well, I'll spoil the movie, but this Frank Ocean song kind of begins with this road trip and then it, uh, and then score comes out of that and, um, goes to a new place kind of. And it really is, uh, yeah, I don't, it, it, it was, it was that kind of fusion between the soundtrack and the score and when we could do that, you know, I didn't pick up on this the first time, but when yeah. I watch it the second time, I, I think I'm right about this. There, there is literal call and response between the first, there, there's repeating yeah. of visual things. There's a repeating, if, if one is a descent in a visual descent up, we're going to see in a, in a different pace, in a different rhythm, the move up, right? Yep. And almost, in a story-wise, I think they're almost, the movements are almost parallel down and As up, much right? as they could be. Yeah. That was the goal. I've written about this before. We've talked about this before. I, 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 you are a master of expressing emotion through camera movement. And what's unique about this film, and I, I want you to talk about, is we just talked about all the sound and seeing. I think one of the things here is is that this movie is emotionally opening up and, 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 and combining your camera movement with, with a bolder use of color and a bolder use of sound. Yeah. And I want to, going back to that sound and music to, to yours and um, your cinematographer's camera, yeah. it, it, there's, you use the word musical, there's a choreography. Your, your, your camera movements have always been choreographed and tied to a music, but now it seems, and I don't know, maybe it's the combination of it with the music, but it feels like almost another layer of, of, so. of what you're doing. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how that changed how you worked if you're thinking in terms of, yeah. of song and rhythm and, and sound. I think so, definitely. Um, <clears throat> you know, when we have like 30 plus songs embedded in the script, it just naturally, we would even, um, Drew and I knew everything to death. We'd shot list everything, but then like our Steadicam operator, before a take, we'd play him the song and we're like, okay, this is the vibe, get in it, get in it. Then he'd get in it and it'd motivate his movement and control with the camera. And um, yeah, it's uh, Drew and I kind of believe everything we've been doing has just been leading to this one. Um, and it's more in the spirit of my first films, uh, kind of film grammar, but, uh, 
blown up even more. Uh, a bigger story, a ton of locations, and um, uh, kind of a bigger uh, musical spirit. It's not a musical by any means, but it, it sort of drives everything, you know? It needs to embody, we were talking about this kind of out of control feeling of being a teenager and the emotions. So, yes. And so there's, that's gotta be, it, it's, a, it's a fine line of control, which is what you're doing, exactly. but, but then a feeling of a recklessness, right? Exactly, and that that's what we um, that's what we'd find is like getting this perfect balance because like we'd shot list everything to death and know everything we were doing, but um, it, well, that it, so much of it, like even one of the opening shots, it's spinning in the car with the kids. Uh, you know, it's a very kind of choreographed, detailed thing. We have a slider going between these two seats and a dolly grip, and I'm hiding behind a seat with a walkie to Drew, who's remotely operating the camera from the car behind us. But, so we have all these gadgets and tools and this plan for this shot, but then ultimately we'd, like, we want to serve the performance and let the kids motivate everything first. So we're reacting off of them and we, we're figuring out our stuff as they're playing around and then it becomes this little dance. So the sweet spot's in the middle of all the takes from the beginning to the end, you can, know. Can I ask you about that opening car seat? Yeah. Maybe it's just the overprotective parent in me. <laughs> um, was I supposed to feel, what I felt there was a sense of freedom. Yes. But I also felt a slightly impending sense of danger. Yes. Like you wanted that, right? That's just not me being paranoid with kids sticking the head out. I will say I didn't expect as many people to be so afraid (laughs) from those shots. Um, But I mean, and, you know, look at some, like, I didn't expect Kelvin to actually put his foot out of the window while we were driving. Like, it was actually really dangerous. So we're looking around. I'm like, there's no pole car here. (laughs) It was so funny, man. Even my my producer, Jim, the first time he saw it, because a lot of these, we shot this in a big indie script way and sometimes producers and people couldn't be around when we, that's why we got away with stuff like putting your foot out the window but he like saw that shot and he was like oh it's amazing I love it but it's clearly so fake I mean Kelvin's driving so fake I was like it's all real there's no bull car there's nothing I mean look uh, yeah so I hope I hope ultimately yes I was going for I think the camera is expressing their spirit right there like when you're at that age in your car your car in your room or like your space at that age, like in your car with someone you love, that's the most freeing thing. Um, but their love is dangerous as we see too. You know, it's like a bottle of fire that we're trying to document. So that's, it's good you felt that way. Um, the other element here that I mentioned is color. Yes. Really, really big with color. Yes. So I'm wondering, let's, let's, let's step back and just talk kind of globally. Cause I yeah. imagine this is a long conversation between you and Drew and yeah. he does a remarkable work. Cause this is all locations. These are cars. These are, yep. I think they're all locations, but I mean, um, which is a burden to get that strong use of color. But I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit kind of globally, the approach to this and even even a sense of a changing palette and how that's going to work. Yeah. Well, I mean, it again, like the color, just like the music, just like the film grammar and the movement, it's all for the kids heads, you know, and it's all to get us closer to Tyler and then Emily and and take you on this subjective, immersive experience. Um, Did you get into like color theory and stuff? Are you reading like Victoria Storaro? No, it, no. Or is it just more just you're thinking this is, I see police car red and blue here. Exactly. And that's, it, it, it's more like the color that's reacting to you and Drew. Exactly. And and certain key, key stuff too, was even in the script of like, like sometimes I'd change fonts to colors, or not change font. I would uh, put fonts and colors when, when the time felt right to it. And really about being like emotively expressionistic 
at the right places, like when it's right in this character, in these characters journey, you know, um, even like Tyler at the fire and how we use that fire with the anamorphic lenses and those red and blues of the police lights. And it was all, we didn't, cause that's the other big, you know, we had a crazy schedule that the bond company wouldn't bond it. said it was impossible. And it's basically like a big indie movie. So you can't control everything, but we always wanted to be open to the color and like really push it if it rang true subjectively, you know, and that varied, like sometimes we'd have opportunity to do a lot of things and sometimes we wouldn't. And it was really melding that with these real locations and seeing how far we could push it. You know, you had 35 days, uh, 35 days for over 50 locations. And did the bond company make you go, go up to 35 or you had a lower plan? No, we had, I mean, that's the funny thing. It was crazy. My script, uh, was 150 pages that I cheated the margins and made it look smaller. The bond company realized they 24 freaked those out. Those people are not dumb. No, they are, man. They, they know I exactly what they're doing. They were like, something's up here. This <laughs> <laughs> it was, I thought the movie was going to fall apart. It was pretty crazy. Uh, yeah. but, but, but essentially just so people understand is that they have to guarantee the delivery and if they see that this is so ambitious in terms of color in terms of yeah. length then you can't fucking do this and well the hilarious thing even i remember how we'd have to do interviews they were like these color sequences how are you because that was even in the script like when colors literally take over in sequences they were like how are you gonna do this this isn't budgeted and we were like we're gonna shoot it in a camera room for free during pre-pros which is exactly what we did but on paper, it, did, it looked a bit crazy. I think. It, it can't be underestimated, and I, I, I'm going to talk to him separate, but it cannot be underestimated the work uh, that Drew did on this film. Yeah, he's it, the it, best. And, and painting as big as you did and pulling it up. I mean, it's clear that you've always had a shared language in terms of the way you handle movement, you know, because it's one thing for it to be in your head, it's another thing for it to, 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 to do it. Um, but, you know, that sense of that going that big, it's almost like. I think about, and I think I said this to you at TIFF when, when I ran into you, is, is that I love this film, but when I walked out of the theater the first time, all I could kept thinking about was this thing was such a risk. This thing yeah. could have been a disaster. And part oh, yeah. of this is going so big with emotions on a Kanye song yep. and then going so big. You're talking about operatic and, and so big in terms of that color. Yep. And it only, there's an element of you feel it inside, but there's another element of executing that to yep. the point that you, you can get that. Amen. Um, what about that sense of, you know, there is an element of you playing with aspect ratio. I, I think yeah. my understanding of watching it the second time is essentially as, as Tyler's, uh, story descends were becoming narrower yep. and as Emily's story we you know so there's a simple closing enough but you I have a it. feeling that there's also another element here beyond just the aspect ratio yeah. I, I, th I have a feeling you're also seeing emotionally in lenses yeah like in definitely that in that sense of like I'm thinking in particular the Emily part you are using a, a, a we're back to this anamorphic we're yep. in this color there's in this a sense of a different ebb and flow that you're seeing in a different lens right yep yeah. And it, it, again, it's just, it's motivated by the characters, you know, in each journey. So, um, and it's funny, like even like anamorphic for the first time we're really using it on Tyler's halves is a uh, half is when he starts using substances, you know, and to get closer to his state of mind. Um, and for Emily, we're doing the same thing, but it's also when she's sort of letting love and healing and light back into her life. Um, and we literally visualize, visualize this by going inside her head at a moment. Um, uh, you know, I don't want to spoil things, but there's a beat where, uh, for me, she's kind of making a conscious choice to like, uh, 
uh, it's scary to open yourself back up to something and like open your back, open yourself back up to, um, some, some, some light in your life after you've gone through some really hard things. And we'll visualize this literally with colors and aspect ratio change. We go inside our head. And to me, these colors kind of represent the subconscious spirit that are building out and letting this light come. And then we switch to anamorphic and she pops awake. Um, and we enter this whole new chapter of the film. Um, so yeah. Was that maybe, I don't know if the question is in shooting or in editing, but was that, half of the story harder for you? I mean, here, let me get at this point. The yeah. Tyler part is so intense. Yes. And it's delivered in such intensity. Yes. Is, is that her state of mind and that pace like a harder thing to identify, a harder thing to find in the editing room? Yeah. I mean, I, she's a wonderful young actress, but I imagine even just like the conversations with her are different. I have to imagine yep. maybe that wasn't necessarily something that felt as, uh, you know, terra firma for you. In, definitely. In, right? It definitely. And, um, you know, it's a different, uh, it's, it's a different thing. There's not the same pressures and like narrative drive to that half. A lot of it's really internal. Um, so it's a, a way trickier thing to navigate, I think. And like you were saying earlier, it's so different. I don't know. To me, Tyler's half almost feels like, uh, I don't know. It's very much in line with other films I've done. And like, that's e a lot easier to do, I think for myself. Um, for that, it it was it was it, another gigantic thing that was incredibly hard. Is you have this, you almost have enough of Tyler to where it's its own movie, and then this giant act happens, and then you have to get past that and come to a new character and a new like phase of the movie and be into that with a, it's a pacing, drastic it's a tone shift, a pace shift, tone shift, yeah. new character. We even, we were like, uh, you know, even I remember after we shot, we were like, is it going to work? Uh, we just have faith, you know, we got to go for it. There's so. also a measure of, of how patient you could be. Definitely, definitely. Right? Like, it, well, that's like, what... Like how much, how much you can let that breathe. I mean, I, Without I was, a doubt. It, it, it is, I think, almost a 50-50 thing. Yes. But, but I, I imagine there's an element of like you thinking like maybe in the editing room we only need a half an hour of this. It, it, totally. And it's, you know, I, at the end of the day, I had enough material for a four hour movie. <laughs> so that made things even harder. Like you have so much material and you have to get this balance right with the two parts, but especially this. Are you going to be like Ari Aster and drop us a three hour? Uh, I honestly cut. might. I honestly <laughs> might. We'll see. I kind of, the tricky do, thing with this one, one is like, do you have one? That's <laughs> well, the first cut I did solo was three and a half hours. <laughs> I would spare you from that, but <laughs> I definitely like to do a longer cut mm -hmm. for sure. You had said something to me that kind of stuck with me in, in when I made the comment about what a risk this film was, and yeah. you seem to be very fully aware of, <laughs> of that. And you said, you said something about, like, I, I feel so free. Yeah. And here's what, I'm wondering what you, what you meant by that. I mean, in that sense, the, the, your previous films have dealt with some very dark emotions. Yeah. You, you clearly are exploring a sense of grief and family in your stories. And this one seems to, to be an operatic kind of fuller version yeah. of, of this cycle. I'm, I'm wondering w what that meant. Cause I almost wondered if you were kind of getting at, I'm, I'm, I'm finished with, with that. Maybe, honestly, I don't know. I just know creatively it felt, um, freeze the perfect word. Um, I think pushing through to that other side and, and 
and dealing with some healing, um, but also just like the practical side of everything, like leaving one location and going to cars and doing all this stuff. It, um, yeah, it felt uh, desperately needed and really just alive and free and yeah, and making. I mean, I had the best summer of my life and got to work with incredible human beings. So I don't know. There's kind of. There's a lot of filmmakers that obviously mind their personal life and, 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 and less even sometimes details, but just like emotions yeah. through their work. Yeah. I'm curious if you're a filmmaker who is one of these ones that's processed these emotions and then therefore is kind of working them through in like almost a second stage of art, or yeah. if there's a little bit more of a making these things is, yeah. is, is, is art as therapy to a certain degree. I don't mean, I want to put you on the couch, but it seems as like you put yourself enough on the couch <laughs> with this one. <laughs> I'm asking for it, man. I actually, I honestly think it's a bit of both. You know, I do. I think there's a part to it, especially a movie like this. Like it was brewing so long. Cause I had to, I believe live some things and get on the other side of that and have some perspective. Um, to sort it out. It, what's up? Sort of the Emily side of the story. Exactly. Exactly. Like, um, and then that combined, you know, both my parents are therapists. Uh, I think I'd be an utter mess without them. And I do think, um, in a way I'm really like sorting some things out with these movies, but still trying to be <laughs> obviously very conscious that they're compelling to an audience and not just myself. Um, so I think I'll, both of those things are there, you know? And I bring this up only because it, it, you you had mentioned this before in a conversation that we had, but the... Without getting spoiler, the the Lucas Hedges part of the story yeah. is is to some degree your story, right? Is it? Yeah, I mean Tyler is too. You know, like mm-hmm. you could look at both. I always like to me very obvious like things of like an example is like everything with Tyler and the wrestling was me. I have the scars from my shoulder still. Um, and then like on the very back end part, everything in Missouri and the dying father and everything, that's me as well. And I wouldn't have gone without my girlfriend, Ash pushing me to go. So you could just take those both things. And then the whole narrative is literally kind of like waves of like real, a little bit of fake, real, a little bit of fake. And it's all comes binds into this big pot, you know, last one. Um, there's so much in here that you are externalizing emotional states in such powerful ways. And, and, and in this case, like as we talked about, not just the movement, but also color and sound. I'm curious, it's pitch perfect, but I'm, I'm curious how often it, it, you don't get it right and you got to yeah. fix it in post. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. like, and how much of it is, oh, we didn't, you know, yeah. it, I didn't hit that note or something and, yep. and you're having to recalibrate. I wonder if you could give even an example of that. Because, yeah. Because, I mean, we only see the finished. Of course. I mean, for me, the first thing that jumps in my head is just the overall whole. Like, I can't think of a specific moment because I was genuinely blessed with, like, the best creative team shooting and actors and, and crew but it was just like sorting the pieces of the whole. Like I said, my, my first, I edited it alone for like six to seven months and that resulted in a three and a half hour cut. Um, so it was, you know, the final movie is like 2.15 and um, getting it down while really maintaining the real spirit of the movie and I think making it the best it could be was very, very hard. Um, and harder, like I, I realized I overwrote drastically <laughs> and figuring out. In that sense that maybe you didn't need as much in the dialogue or in story and that you, were, you could hit certain notes. Definitely, in yeah. complete scenes, you know, complete scenes. And um, 
that was the biggest thing, like cutting some things, doing some minor shufflings. And I think I was also apparent because I had felt on my last film that in the edit, I didn't have enough and I was grasping for anything. And this, I think I consciously was like, I want too much. And then, but yeah, it was, that was my first time dealing with too much and, and trying to uh, sort it out, you know? And, and yeah, it, it was, it was an interesting. Well, congratulations, and uh, thank you, you know brother. it's. I, I, I'd like to think even if the you took the risks and you failed, we still would have celebrated the effort. <laughs> thank you. But oh, yeah. uh, it really is nice to see something such such a big swing. Thank you. Uh, go like cool. this. It's uh, remarkable. Hell yeah! Thank you, brother.